The Winding Stairs Freemasonry Podcast is made possible in part by freemasonryart.com. You have arrived at The Winding Stairs, a program dedicated to Masonic education and the practical side of Freemasonry. I am your host, Juan Sepulveda professional artist and master mason. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Winding Stairs. I am your brother Juan Sepulveda and today I am here with a very talented brother. I'm going to sit down to have a conversation with a brother who is a composer, a writer, filmmaker and as a director and producer of films like 33 and Beyond and the upcoming documentary Illuminated. Brother Royal pulls back the curtain and shows you a little bit behind of what fraternal orders are, like Freemasonry and the Illuminati, in a very accurate and very stylistic way. So, Brother Johnny Royal, thank you so much for joining us on The Winding Stairs. How are you? I'm doing great, Juan. Thank you for having me. It's, it's my pleasure, absolutely. I've been following your work for quite some time now, and I, I love the quality of the work that you put together. and But most importantly, the fact that it doesn't substitute the quality of the information. Um, can you tell us a little bit more uh, about the passion that you have for filmmaking and how it pairs up with the accuracy of the research? Sure. Uh, my passion for filmmaking really goes back quite a ways because my background was in advertising and I got my start in uh, just film in general, you know, kind of being behind the camera and putting stories together in advertising. So I, I, I've directed over a thousand commercials um, for a lot of different types of clients like PV Electronics and uh, a lot of big brands like that. And um, what I learned uh, through doing commercial advertising and commercial ads um, was that film is kind of like the ultimate medium for someone like myself. And my background before that is music. And what I loved about music is the aspect of storytelling because I grew up with my grandfather would always be kind of like the, the guy around the campfire telling us these scary stories or funny stories. And I realized with, uh, with music that that was an outlet for, you know, storytelling. But then when I started seeing how you know, filming works is that you have like the best of all of these different worlds coming together, the, the writing and the narrative and then the visual expression and then the, you know, sound and filmmaking is used to tell the watcher how to feel, right? So like, for example, if you watch Friday the 13th or a horror film and you turn off the sound, it's not scary. So um, my passion really comes from the art of storytelling and that goes back to my, my grandfather. Now that's excellent. And one thing that I see in, in your work, it, I compare it to like a painter. Whenever you start working with acrylics or oils, mm -hmm. your focus is solely on making sure that you know how to mix things, that you know how to layer things, that is that technique of putting things together. And it's almost impossible to really tell a good story when all your energy is focused on those technical aspects. With your work, I can see that you're beyond dominating the tools and, 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 this, and the skills that come with those. And you're able to really flow through it and, and tell the story. Uh, so I really appreciate that you're doing that and, and in a way you're putting that at the service of the craft because it helps tell that specific story. Well, you know, one thing you were talking about is like with backgrounds, um, when I approach a, a film, 
one of the ways that I approach it, whether it's scripted or unscripted, meaning documentary, or if it's narrated, so it's partially scripted, is that um, I've edited film for a long time too. So I'm looking at it from the sense of not just directing and getting the passion out of the interviews or the actors, but I'm looking at it as like, I know I'm going to be one of the major people that's cutting this thing up. Mm. So I look at it as far as like telling, you know, as soon as someone's done in an interview, um, for them not to stop filming, if it's the DP or the cinematographer, uh. hey, don't stop filming, let's get their reaction, because then you can do what's called an L cut, where the next interview can pick up the audio when the person's silent, but it mm. gives this nice consistency and fluidity to what you're seeing. I love that. Yeah. I, and I love being able to think in those in, in with those parameters, it's almost as you're having the conversation with these, all these different hands that are, you know, working on the project, you can still envision a little bit of the editing process and you can almost visualize the, the, the end product. So, so that's exciting. Um, recently I was watching the, 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 the previous documentary that you worked on, uh, 33 and, and beyond. And one thing that you talk about, and, and this is perfect timing for, for your son to be there, uh, is that you talk about the influence. That's right, Harry. Let's say hi. Hi. Hey, buddy. <laughs> yeah, you were saying that you, you, ha you were very strongly influenced by your stepfather. Yes. And in, and in masonry, we, we see that a lot of young men find mm -hmm. the fraternity and they find in it this fraternal connection and this mm -hmm. bond between different ages of men. Um, and I was curious considering that you, that you, you know, your stepfather passed away when you were so, so young, how, how old were you? I was 14. 14. So you were still a very impressionable young man. Yeah. Uh, what kind of influence uh, having that separation had in you connecting with Freemasonry in the future? It had a, it had a really big one because the main thing that it did is that, um, you know, the circumstances around it, it, it was, it was pretty sad, but there's a, there's a light at the end of this kind of dark tunnel that I went down. So um, he, uh, he passed away of uh, heart disease. It was the night after Christmas. Mm. And, um, you know, it was a really tough time for, for me and my family. Um, but, you know, not only just because of the holidays, but because he was so influential. Like he was my hockey coach and he was a big part of my life. And, you know, probably the best man I've ever known. Um, but it, it's, it made me question why these things happen. Mm made me wonder um, what causes them to happen from a spiritual aspect, not just a physiological aspect, but you know, why does, why does it happen? He was 39, you know? Oh, wow. um, so it, it, that really got me, I was already interested in reading a lot of philosophy at that age already. I was already thinking kind of, you know, I was a, I was a deeper thinker, but that really set me on the path of, you know, okay, I really want some answers. Because man at that age, you know, naturally I went through, uh, being really sad and angry and, um, you know, just really looking for things. And then when I, you know, fast forward years later, when I discovered Freemasonry, um, you know, the, my first experience with, with it was the Grand Lodge of England. Hmm. And I was living over there and uh, I was studying abroad and I saw the square and compass and there was something, it was just the strangest thing. It just, there was like a light bulb that went off and I had this very warm, peaceful feeling and I started studying it, reading about it, and reading, um, I remember one of the first things I read was uh, Mackey's Encyclopedia. And I was just like, I, all these things in philosophy that I thought about and all in the way I thought in general, 
was like, these guys are able to articulate how I'm thinking and feeling, and I want to learn more about it. So, I mean, I went on a quest for a decade of studying Freemasonry before I knocked on the door, so to speak. So, oh, wow. That's, that's a long time. So yeah. pretty much I would imagine when you were first uh, given admittance, you were one of those inner apprentices that knew a lot more about masonry than many of the people you met, right? I, I did, um, but I wasn't sure what was true or what wasn't true. Of course. You know, for instance, like there's books out there like Duncan's Ritual. So I was like, well, I don't know if this is real or if it's not real. And then you also think about things like, well, things change over time. But, you know, with our craft, fortunately, a lot of things stay the same but there yeah. are some things that change. But um, yeah, I, I, d I did know quite a bit, uh, you know, historically about the, the journey of Freemasonry. And, um, you know, when, when I was, I remember when I went through my initiation, I was so scared and so nervous because I was just excited and it hit me that, uh, you know, at, at that moment I realized like this, I'm going through pretty much the same thing that George Washington and Mozart and Voltaire and all these incredible people went through. And, uh, and I just took it all in, you know, and I just, I just, my, I just remember my, my, my heart was like beating through my throat and I was so like nervous. Um, but it was just such a profound experience and, and, you know, I love the craft. It's given me so much and it really helped settle a lot of the questions that I had about, you know, with my dad and just the way the world is. Um, and, and the biggest thing to date that I've gotten out of it is that you can't control what other people do or how they feel or what they think but you can control how you react in a situation. Absolutely. And that is such a golden key to life. You know, Absolutely. Like that, is the, that is one of the deeper levels of the light and the dark of you know, vitriol going within the self. It's serendipitous that you bring this up because today I was having a conversation with a brother specifically about those two things. Number one, having that mindfulness whenever you're going through the ritual so that you can feel the connection with those who came before you, yeah. that you can feel the gratitude of being able to be part of this organization and, and consequently taking all those things and putting them to practice in your life to a degree in which you now can control yourself. Uh, we were talking about the fact that a lot of people think, oh, Freemasonry is this, you know, world domination effort. And it's this secret cabal that is just intended on uh, these surreptitious ways of, uh, sorry, it's not Siri, surreptitious. I didn't say Siri. <laughs> uh, so a lot of people think that we have these nefarious motives and at the, at the end of it all, what the control that we encourage is the control over self, right. which is the only thing we can control is how do we react to all these inevitable things that surround us? Right. That's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. Yeah. So, so. It's, it's good to hear you uh, say those things. And for the brothers who are listening, or who are watching um, that perhaps are in the very beginning stages of their journey as Masons, that is a very, um, it's a very strong lesson to learn early on because yeah. then from the get-go, they can start generating all this, uh, you know, return on investment uh, right. per se. The lodges that I've seen that are successful, that they have a good mix of, you know, younger Masons, Masons in their middle uh, stage of life, and then um, older Masons. The, the ones that do it right, in my opinion, are the ones that they do get that message out right away, which is that, you, it's true. What you put into it, you get out of it because you're not going to be given some secret, uh, you know, in, in the movie, it's funny. Jim Trestner says like, 
uh, the Latrim Trustner. He says that, uh, you know, oh, there's now it's where these 18 letters appear in the sky on fire. And it's not like that. There's no this grand answer given to you. Um, and it reminds me of like ontology. Uh, which, there's a really good book by Heidegger, uh, who's a philosopher. He wrote a book called Being in Time. But basically what it gets to is that the study of the self um, in, a, in an ontological, purely ontological sense, is that really the, the, the question becomes the answer. Mm in a sense, so meaning that it's not about having a definitive type of, um, you know, I have, or this is the key to life because it's different for everybody, but there are these commonalities. There are these common stones that we have to lay down that support this foundation where we build upwards from there and create our own strong temples that will withstand the test of time. And guess what? Over time, those temples that we build that we might think are perfect, they get destroyed and we rebuild and they get destroyed and we rebuild. So we just learn more and more as we go through that, that uh, state of temple building with ourselves to be able to do that. And that's key for younger Masons. That's, that's such great advice for the, for brothers who listen to that and they can take that to heart. Uh, it, it can really be something powerful. Now there's, there's a theme that I wanted to, um, that I wanted to explore with you. You earlier, you talked about the fact that when you start learning the craft of filmmaking, you start becoming acquainted, uh, acquainted with sound and the impact it has on the psyche of the viewer. And lighting is another one of those. And not all lodges have the lighting in, in, in the lodge room during the degree work uh, ideal for, for the kind of um, cathartic experience that we actually go through. And it is those who are able to actually set the tone, set the mood with all those elements, with light and with sound and with the ambience. Those are the ones that can have the biggest and most profound impact on the candidate. On the same token, I notice in your film a, a play with light. I can see that light in both sense of there's this darkness and there's this mystery that's surrounding the editing and the filmmaking, uh, the cinematography. I think it's, it's present there. And you reveal these moments of light when you're able to actually show what's the benefit or what are the uh, transcending qualities of it. Can you give us a little insight into your way of thinking to put this whole thematic together in your filmmaking? Sure. Um, it's interesting you bring that up because, uh, I think it was last night, um, you know, man, uh, my fiance Angel, uh, we, she's she executive produces a lot of the stuff that we work on, and um, you know, one thing that she she brought to my attention that I didn't realize is that if you look at a show like Breaking Bad, mm -hmm. you'll notice around these different characters, like there's blue tones to them, sure. and when they're connecting and they're on the same page, there's this blue hue that comes in. So I kind of did that without knowing I was doing that, but in the royal art about 95% of the filming was done in natural lighting. And we would just capture the scenes and the moments in a way where, where we knew if the sun were kind of coming in through a stained glass window, and if it was going to sparkle on this edge, that if the person was about to say something that was a, a completion of their statement or something really impactful, we would just slowly slide the camera just so a little bit of that light came in. And then in post, you can play with that in color and do a lot of really interesting things with that. But that's lighting is definitely key. And, um, and our, our film coming out soon illuminated, uh, that really went to a new level because we had a really great team. Uh, the 
the grip and the gaffer um, working on that and, the, and following the direction of our DP, our director of photography, Daryl Gilmore. Um, but I think lighting is such a key thing because if it's just bright and, you know, um, brilliant all the time, then you, you kind of lose the impact of things. And that's why you have to remember uh, from a filmmaking sense that the light is as important as the dark is because, you know, light um, tends to fill all space in a sense uh, where, where it can. Um, and, and darkness is just the absence of light. Mm. And you look at that in a philosophical context too. Context too. So I those philosophies together. This program is made possible in part by freemasonryart.com, an online store of products made by Masons for Masons. It features a growing selection of original Masonic paintings, limited edition artwork, and genuine lambskin Masonic aprons. Imagine yourself walking into your next lodge meeting wearing a hand-painted Masonic apron, like the ones we see displayed in museums. We invite you to look at our growing collection and support the winding stairs through your purchase. For details, go to freemasonryart.com. I'm glad you bring up the upcoming film, Illuminated. I've been speaking with some brothers who were involved in the, uh, in the project with you. But before I learned about the, the film, I, I had been reading The Secret School of Wisdom from our mutual friend, Brother Joseph Wages. Joe's one of the, I love Joe. And, right. Uh, when, we were, when we were going into filming here, uh, he was staying with us and he was still on Texas time, but he's a morning person and we would just wake up to his laugh and it just fill up the whole place. And all of us would just crack up. We we're like, Joe's awake, everybody. You know? <laughs> Your own personal alarm. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, Joe, uh, he's, he's one of my best friends. I, I love Joe. That's awesome. That's, that's a great combination right there because uh, it could be, you know, that, that sweet combination right there of that passion for the research and for the, uh, scholarly pursuit and the beautiful storytelling that you put together, it, it makes for a compelling story, but a one that can remain uh, cemented in, in, in the brothers' minds. Now, of course, Illuminati is something that in pop culture is just being completely uh, tainted with nonsense right. and efforts like authentic efforts, uh, scholarly efforts to bring to light what really happened in Bavaria with uh, Adam Weishaupt and, and the Illuminati. It is crucial because people associate Freemasons, rightly so, with having some sort of connection with um, the Illuminati. And here, when I'm reading the book, I'm finding some truths and I'm finding the connections and, and visualizing how those rituals looked and everything, but it's not the same as actually seeing it in real life. Right. So I'm really excited to hear from you. Uh, let us know a little bit more about what illuminated the documentary is all about. Sure. So, um, the, I'll go back to the beginning of how this whole thing started. Um, you know, I had, uh, as soon as I heard about Joe's book coming out, I, I got it right away because I was, I always wanted to know, you know, what, what, the, what the rituals really were. Um, and, you know, when I, I read through the book several times and, you know, what I realized, what, what really 
differentiated it from any other system, so to speak, is that it's a lot of uh, questions and answers, right, throughout their rituals, which you've probably you know, mm-hmm. become acquainted with too, which I found interesting. Um, and it wasn't until Kaniga, Baron Adolf von Kaniga became involved, who was a Freemason, that he brought in, you know, the modes of recognition for them and the floor work and the, the grips and all of those things. But I found that really fascinating. And, uh, you know, I wanted to meet Joe for a while. And uh, I got a call uh, from uh, uh, Worshipful Adam Kendall. And uh, Adam, uh, he, he used to uh, basically ran the... Uh, the library and the archives at the Grand Lodge, California for a while. And Adam's one of the smartest uh, brothers on the, in the subject matter of uh, fraternalism and uh, fraternal historical studies and things like that. But Adam had called me and he said, Hey, Joe's speaking at South Pasadena uh, Lodge. And do you want to go? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. So we, you know, I went there with him and then, um, you know, Joe and I clicked right away. And this was, um, this was, uh, uh, maybe a month before the Royal art came out uh, to the public. And you know, we were sitting up here and we were just hanging out. And um, I asked Joe, I said, you know, did you ever think about, you know, working on a documentary for, you know, your book? And he said, yeah. He's like, you know, but I just, I haven't found the really the right person that I thought. And I kind of told him my idea about it. And I gave him an early screener of the Royal art before anybody else other than the uh, crew had seen it. He was like, man, it's like, let's do this. So, um, that started the process and it was, it's uh, from start to finish, it'll have been about almost a two year process since we started that versus the Royal art was a seven year process. Um, the difference being is that illuminated, um, you know, the true story of the Illuminati, uh, I knew what the story was and I figured that story out in advance. And the story actually, at first I was looking at just kind of exploring their degrees and their rituals. But what I really found out what the real story was, it was about Weishaupt and about the people involved in it. And it made it a very human story because the story of the Illuminati, it's, it's, it's a very, um, and I say this in the narration in the film, but it's, it's a story of rebellion. It's a story of love and it's a story of great loss. And it makes it very human in that sense. And that's really the overarching theme of what the film is. And then the degrees just become kind of supplemental. And what's interesting is that when you get to do the degrees, like the higher ones, like the docetus degree, um, and even some of the higher uh, degrees in the Freemasonic class of the Illuminati, you can, they match up perfectly with what Weishaupt was going through in his personal life at that time. So um, that's really the overarching theme is it's about the story about the man behind it and also the people that it influenced. And, you know, some were in a very positive way, some were in a negative way. Um, but it's a really beautiful story and it's not what people, it's not what I thought the Illuminati was at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it's really interesting what they, who they were and what they did. Yeah, and, and of course, there's that relentless campaign, and, and it's it's not an organized one, but it's just like an organic campaign to explain what the Illuminati is without a shred of of, of truth in it. Right. So when you actually get to get to learn about what it what it really was, and and like you said, that humanity component of it, like these were flawed individuals just like you and I, uh, pursuing an ideal. Right. Trying in the very best uh, effort possible to put something together of of consequence. Right, and, and it's interesting that you bring that up too, because when you look at the early stages of who Weishaupt was, 
you know, his parents, uh, both of them had died by the time he was five years old. So, uh, you know, I talked to a lot of the scholars and the historians in Bavaria and they said, well, that was a common thing. But to me, that still was going to be hard on a lower boy, you know? So then he gets raised, he ends up being raised by his godfather, the Baron von Ickstadt and Ickstadt is the book censor for Ingolstadt university at the time. So during that time, you have this, this ban from the Catholic church on all these books on enlightenment era thinking, um, not all of them, but a lot of them, um, anything that went against canon law. And so Ickstadt, instead of him burning the books, he basically takes them home, makes this own secret library, and he teaches them to his godson. So wow. his godson grows up within this uh, context of this Catholic scenery, but he's thinking like these Enlightenment era philosophers. So uh, he basically created, in my opinion, the Illuminati as almost like a dead poet society. Uh, like if you think back to the movie with Robin Williams, but he wanted to teach these things that he thought were really important and profound, but they had to do it in secret because it was, there was, they were banned. It was illegal. And uh, it's, it's just really fascinating. And, you know, he falls in love and his, his wife dies and then he marries a second wife and he goes through a lot of these different troubling things. And then this order that he creates, um, you know, he gets exiled from Bavaria and he gets kicked out of his own order that he created or put his whole life into. So, I mean, all of that, it's very heartbreaking. Um, he had a lot of like really interesting things in his life that happened too. But um, as far as like the modern context of like the viral marketing behind it, I mean, when you take something that has a catchy name, I mean, Illuminati is like such a cool name. And then the idea that, you know, it's a secret society, a truly secret society, a real one, a real one where you're not allowed to even say you're a member. Um, and then, you know, a lack of, you know, supporting documents, then you have people that start talking about this and saying all these pop, uh, culture stars are part of it. But when you read the degrees, it's like to even put on some of those degrees. I mean, that must've taken eight to 10 hours to do some of that stuff, you know, and, uh, you know, if you're a Scottish Rite Mason and you sit through the reunions, you know, like those are long, and, <laughs> yeah. you know, you know, those are some of my favorite things, though, too. Like, I try to go to Guthrie every year for their reunion. And uh, I was I'm a past commander of Kadosh for the L.A. Valley. But, you know, it's really the Illuminati is really interesting. And it's and it's not a negative thing, in my opinion. It's what people think it is, because when you read the historical documents and all of that contact in that context, um, you see that these were just a, a group of men that were looking for enlightenment during that time. And they were looking and books that they wanted to study from that were illegal. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that you've, you know, put the effort that you have put into putting together this documentary because it will be fascinating for us to actually get a visual representation of of what it would have been like. Because one thing is what you imagine or maybe what you read and some of the diagrams that, uh, that you can find through the, through research. Uh, But to actually get to get a, a live picture of what it would have been like. Uh, I think that's going to be very inspiring for a lot of brothers. Uh, Now, I understand that July 30th is the the beginning of the screenings. And how many markets will you be reaching at that time? Uh, So July 30th, uh, we have the film in 500 theaters across the United States. So it's pretty much in every major city. Um, the first ones that we looked at uh, booking as far as theatrical were the ones closest to Grand Lodges and Prince Hall Grand Lodges in different states. And then we kind of filled out from there into some of the other bigger markets. And um, 
So July 30th, we have all of that. And then we have a carpet premiere in Los Angeles, uh, which is going to be on the rooftop of this really cool building in downtown LA. And um, there's a, we got a couple of celebrity musical guests that are playing and we're actually going to um, in period costume uh we're going to do some excerpts from some of the illuminati degrees oh uh, a couple little bites here and there you know just to give people a sense of like this is what it was really like like in person to see it so no you're taking it to a whole nother level that's yeah. uh that's that's exciting yeah. and i presume that whenever this the screening start happening um does that mean that you will also be traveling quite a bit during that time or is that something that you don't no, so this time around, I did that with the Royal Art. Um, uh, it was just, it was very difficult to do. I mean, mm -hmm. it's basically like going on tour. So this time around, they're all happening on the same night. And then the one I'll be at is in Los Angeles. Um, and uh, there's, there's a couple different reasons for that. But it, um, for, for that big of a theatrical release, it's just, near, it's impossible for me to go to every single market city. But um, I will be at the Los Angeles one doing the Q&A and then, you know, a lot of online press and things like that. So, um, yeah, I'll just be at, uh, that one in particular. Okay. Um, and this is the one cool thing about that is that you can have, for example, brothers in one Valley, uh, all come together and figure out what, what's the closest, uh, screening venue. They can all go together and then just go for a pint and, and talk about it all night. Absolutely. That's yeah. my plan. Yeah. So, yeah. For the brothers listening who are in Florida, Central Florida mainly, uh, we have a we have a we have a date on July 30th. Mark that in the calendar. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and like I said, uh, I think earlier before we were talking that in Florida it'll be playing in every major market in Florida, so uh, you'll be find it somewhere down there. So excellent. Uh, one cool thing that I, I've I've seen that you're you're doing with this project is that you are also doing a pre-sale of the DVD so that everybody who is interested in uh, not just watching it but having it in in their collection they can pre-order it. And when when does that pre-order begin? Uh, the pre-order started now, so it's live now. Excellent. Um, and uh, if they go to illuminatedmovie.com. Uh, slash merch or just go to the front have on there but it's illuminatedmovie.com and slash merch and then you can click on get a dvd uh, there those ones are autographs so these are limited edition ones um then there's also the red carpet package which comes with uh, a minerva illuminati jewel and uh we're also um coupling it with uh books uh joe's book uh, uh secret school of wisdom there's um, some really great t-shirts, uh, one of a kind uh, designs from uh, Daniel Diaz, who's a pretty famous artist. Uh, he, he works in um, the realms of al alchemy as far as his illustrations go. And, nice. Uh, so, uh, and then there's posters. There's all, all of that's available now on the website, um, but that's going to be limited edition. And then after that, there'll be regular uh, DVDs and Blu-rays that are for sale. And then, um, It'll be on all the digital platforms too. Excellent. I'm going to share links with the brothers for, for all of those things. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, hopefully our paths will cross one day and we'll get a chance to talk a little bit more about, you know, these common passions we have. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You should, uh, oh yeah, I know you're talking about having all the brothers down there go out, but uh, it'd be cool if you could somehow make it out to the red carpet premiere or something like that. But uh, I'm traveling around a lot. Like I said, I'm, 
I'm speaking in uh, uh, near Charlotte, North Carolina this uh, weekend. Um, they're doing a screening of uh, 33 and Beyond, and um, I'm going to be talking about the movie process with that too. So very nice, and and I know that uh, traveling can be uh, taxing uh, for 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 brothers that that do this sort of work. But you do actually go to lodges uh, and and you give presentations and and you do uh, screenings of of your work, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So for the for the brothers, I'll put the links there so that they can reach out to you if they're if they're interested in doing that. Um, but I'm excited to to see the the new work. I know you have some other films uh, in the works, but hopefully we can have a conversation in the future and we can touch up on those yeah, uh, as they come up. So, you know, thank you for the quality of the work that you do. Thank you for sharing it with us. And ideally, brothers, as they see it and they see uh, these interpretations of in stylized degrees, they can get inspired to to make the their own degrees in their lodges even more impactful by having uh, sound and by having lighting and by having uh, that sort of dramatic uh, element that can enhance the the ritual experience. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, it's performance art in a sense, you know, the ritual aspect. So I think that should be done as best as possible in every lodge. Absolutely, Take pride in the work because. You know, now, um, you know, I'm on the opposite side as an officer of my lodge, but, um, you know, just having that pride and understanding, you know, not just memorizing things and speaking the words, but knowing what they mean to the best of your ability and really putting all of your heart into it because, you know, that candidate is really only getting that one chance of going through those degrees. So, That's right. It's a, it's a once in a lifetime, life-changing experience. Absolutely. We got to put our maximum into it. Brother Johnny, it's been a privilege speaking with you, brother. Brother Juan, same. Thank you for having me. Hey, before you switch to the next podcast, let me ask you a question. Did you find this episode enjoyable? Did you find any part of it edifying or informative? If so, please consider supporting our show by choosing one of these options, mainly by sharing it with other brothers through social media, on your lodge's website, or through your own blog by leaving a brief rating and review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app, by making a purchase through freemasonryart.com, or by joining our exclusive group of supporters through patreon.com for early access to our podcast episodes, behind-the-scenes look at the creation process, and many other benefits, visit thewindingstairs.com forward slash support. Regardless of the way in which you choose to support our show, thank you. And as always... May your steps be firm and your path illuminated as we continue our journey up the winding stairs.